Hello, and welcome to Tectonic, the podcast that revolves around the seismic shifts in technology, culture, and the digital age. You're listening to episode number 21. I'm your host, Joe Darnell, and with me is Mr. Joshua Pfeiffer. Welcome back to your show, sir. Hey, man, what's going on? I'm excited about this week. It's uh, episode 21. We're recording this a little early, but for what it is worth, it's going to be a, a great episode. I can feel it because we have our special guest returning, Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. It's always nice to have another Southerner on the show. Yeah, you got to gotta keep the balance. Usually I'm the odd man out, so it's nice to have a, a fellow Southerner. My other co-host on the Movie Bite podcast, he's from Tennessee as well. He's up in Nashville. Yeah, so it is nice. I'm familiar with your your country's people. <laughs> now, what have you been up to lately? It seems like forever ago we had you on episode three, and back at the time, you didn't especially have a lot of time to work on 512 Pixels. You were doing, I imagine, all sorts of things behind the scenes for your podcast network. You were maybe planning to switch your job full-time, maybe. I don't know. If I actually listened back to the episode a couple of days ago, and in it, I asked you if you would seriously consider full-time writing. And at the time, you were like, well, you know, it, when and if, you know, you weren't too sure at the time. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's been an interesting couple of months for me. I uh, actually back in back in June decided that by the end of the summer, I'd be work, going independent more or less, you know, working on, on Relay and 512 Pixels and some other things and leaving the, uh, the quote, nine to five job. And so set set that in motion way back in actually the beginning of the summer, well before I announced it, uh, when I told the company I was working for so we could work on a plan to, to transi- transition some things and some people around. And so, yeah, so as of uh, about three, four weeks ago, have been self-employed, which is a crazy adventure so far, but a lot of fun. Now, now could you could you remind us what, what was, I guess, what was the 95? What were you working on? Was it something similar? Uh, it, sort of. I was the uh, the director of account management at a creative agency. So we most of what we did was website design development. Did some branding and some print work as well, internet marketing. Um, and so I, yeah, so I ran the the sort of project management, account management uh, side of that business. And I was there two years and um, a great company. And uh, they they were very helpful and very supportive when I told them we were founding Relay a year ago. Um, and then, uh, when I told them, Hey, you know, it's time for me to go do my own thing. They, uh, they were on board with that and were very supportive. And, uh, it was really a, a really smooth thing for me, like job wise to, to step out onto my own. So it was a week ago or so that you wrote a post about your work and how it's split in different ways. And on the pie chart, I see that you are doing some consulting is, does that have to do with your former employer? It, it does a little bit. I, had a couple of projects, big projects that didn't quite wrap up in the time frame that I gave them. And so we uh, sort of realized that it was mutually beneficial for me to, to help out with those projects in a, in a basically part-time capacity. So uh, working a few hours for the old job just as needed to get some things uh, wrapped up, um, which is good. You know, I wanted to finish that work that I'd started with those clients and um, and did some other sort of tech consulting in town, uh, sort of, some, you know, mostly Apple-centric stuff, you know, just uh, looking at a computer here and there for people or that sort of thing, which I've always done. It's always been very sort of low level. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I'll do a little more of it if it if I need to. But um, yeah, so right now I'm still doing some stuff for Rocket Fuel as I sort of continue to, to wrap up those projects that uh, ran a little late. 
So if you're going to help people shop for their own Macs and such, you can develop the 512 Pixels Care program. There you go. And you can share their devices. <laughs> mm. Maybe at least for the uh, old Macs or the old hardware, you know, all the retro stuff. That's right. I did pick up an iBook G3 from somebody this week who needed their information off of it. And I was like, uh, okay, <laughs> you know, but, uh, <laughs> you know, happy to help, so. So I've always I've always been <clears throat> interested in in, in self employment and and just how technology kind of uh, gives us that opportunity uh, in the last couple of years. You know, going into this, did you have some sort of metrics in mind? And, and of course, you don't have to get super specific and personal, but did you have some sort of like metrics in mind, like when when all of these side projects make X percent of what I'm making at home? Now it's time to transition, you know, or anything like that. Or, or how did you what 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 made you finally pull the trigger? I guess. Uh, yeah, that, there were definitely some metrics in place. So my wife and I, and then uh, on the business side, Mike and I have been looking at this really since the beginning of the year of, uh, I knew that I wanted 2015 to be the year that I worked for myself. And so we kind of set some goals, both um, both financially in the sense of like monthly income, but financially in the sense of like how much savings do we have, you know, a couple other things we need to take care of just on the financial end to make sure that, that we could we could make the make the jump. And um, from other friends I have who have done this, I played it safe and, and basically waited till my income was basically the same, both at work and out of work to, to make that jump. And it's really the only big difference has been health insurance. Mm. But, uh, but the, the thing is, you know, now I've got more time. So uh, I could do things like a second podcast, which I oh, yeah. talk about, or I could do things like more freelance writing or more consulting if it comes up. So I, I really probably held on longer than, than some people do, but we've got three kids and my wife stays home. And so it was, it was for us, we had these metrics. We wanted to hit them and we hit them sooner than I, than I thought we would mm-hmm. basically starting in the spring, we had met those goals. And so then it was a matter of, Hey, let's go a, a quarter and make sure we get, I can hit these goals consistently. And when that proved to be true, kind of set in motion, knocked over the first domino that, that landed me here. Interesting. One of the things that I've heard a couple of times while y'all were discussing your first year anniversary was how now with 16 shows, you kind of know what to expect over the long haul. And y'all aren't especially eager to to grow the podcast network beyond that. And it seems pretty comfortable and stable. And I'm congratulations, man. Thank you. I, I really admire the fine work that y'all have done with the series. I listen to a number of the shows on a regular basis and uh, thoroughly enjoy them. Every now and then, I, I'm uh, hunting and pecking on 512 pixels, and I wonder to myself, I wonder if I just keep digging, I could fi- find the original 512 pixels podcast and listen to what that was like. <laughs> I know it exists. So. Uh, the, I don't know if the files are online anywhere anymore. I, I still have them. They're, they're tucked away. <laughs> Hidden in the closets. <laughs> yeah. So the, the 512 podcast was just, uh, really the first regular podcast I ever did. Uh, I, I did it with with Mike Hurley, my co-founder at Relay. And basically it, it was in the same vein that, that Connected is, where it was a couple, you know, guys talking about Apple and technology it was, you know, the same format, you know, 45 minutes to an hour long. And uh, we we did that for about a year. And when we ended up going to 5x5, that show evolved. We added Federico Vitici from Mac Stories uh, who's just a, an absolute pleasure to work with, mm. and uh, that that show became the prompt, and then when we left, it became connected. So, so that that show of me and Mike talking about Apple has been around for a long time. It's just evolved rather heavily over the years. Mm. 
Now, one of the things that y'all haven't really discussed over the years that I noticed, and I, I wonder every now and then, should I write the guys on Twitter and ask them to address this, would be scheduling. Because now with all the many shows that y'all have, I imagine that scheduling sometimes has to be stressful. And, and if it's not the stress that's going to kill you, it's uh, like what app to use and which one is going to be reliable because iCloud calendars are not the greatest. They work <laughs> sometimes. I've sometimes been using iCloud calendar now for about a year and a half. And as long as I don't have to share anything, it's stable. So I've wondered, what do y'all do? What do y'all use for that? So uh, a couple of different things. We let, uh, so we kind of, I don't want to say tiers. We have two types of shows on Relay. We have shows that, that stream live and then shows that don't. The shows that stream live uh, are all in a Google Calendar that a bunch of people have access to on the network. And that's just a way to make sure that, hey, I'm not going to start streaming my show halfway through your show. Just to make sure there's no collisions. Because, you know, most shows have a regular time, but even even connected my show, you know, moved around a good bit earlier this summer as people were, were on vacation and I was leaving my job. It was very hectic. And so, so there we, were we a couple Google of Calendar weeks. for that. Yeah, there were a couple of weeks when you or Federico were missing, and it was it was a rotten shame. I always love when you <laughs> three guys can be on together. Yeah, and he'll be back next week. Uh, we had uh, David Sparks on in his place this week, but um, he's essentially the same thing from yeah, California. David, David's great. Uh, David's one of my one of my favorite people on the internet. Uh, super super nice guy. So so the Google Calendar takes care of what happens live, like actually on you know on the streaming server and in the chat room and everything. And and past that, it's kind of every man for himself. So shows that that don't stream live, so something like Cortex, uh, Mike and Gray just work that out between them, and they do whatever they do, and it gets done, and then it gets posted. It's actually not as hectic as it might seem because only I think only about half the shows at this at this point are actually streaming on a regular basis. Hmm. I noticed in the post that we mentioned earlier, that's going to be linked to it in the show notes, you were using the Hours app on iOS. Now you're using the time tracking more as to just see like what percentages you're dividing in, in different ways for Relay and for your own website and consulting and the like. But do you use any sort of time tracking for yourself and your family events? Do you share things with the family in Google Calendar? Uh, per personally, I've got everything over in, in iCloud and, uh, my wife and I both use it and we have, uh, we have shared calendars for like overall family events. And then I have one like personal stuff. I now have a work calendar. So, um, and, and we share that between just our two iCloud accounts. So that's actually worked really well for us. And I mean, we've done that forever. Uh, and so it's just kind of evolved as we've added kids and, and whatnot. Yeah, I use the iCloud calendar. Like I said, sometimes it's reliable, sometimes it's not. But usually it's when I have to share a calendar that the hiccups occur. Hmm. I've had a couple other podcasters that I wanted to share shows with. And just the other day, I was trying to share one with Joshua. And I type in, you know, the show is going to be recorded at 9 p.m. And iCloud refused to accept the p.m. It had to be at 9 a.m. And <laughs> I went back and back and back and I tried to change that thing. Eventually, I delete it, restart everything. I go to iCloud online and I put it in there and it finally took. But uh, yeah, it, it works most of the time. I can't really say that it's an ongoing bug concern. It's just really refreshing to hear that other people face the same challenges as me from time to time. And I, I really love the topic of scheduling and planning. So we'll have to talk about that some more with you. And 
and what you're doing with hours. I've been using hours too, but for in a completely different way. I've been self-employed now for about a year. And when hours was announced, I started using it on a regular basis to track all of my client work. So there's about 15, maybe 18 different uh, projects that are opened up right now in hours. And yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because it saves me so much time when processing reports. And that's why I really love apps like these. So just today, I downloaded another one. If hours is not your thing and you're interested in what you can do with time tracking, another one is called Eternity. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm digging the name. I'm downloading that no matter what. And it has an infinite loop on their icon that's uh, turned 90 degrees to look like it's an hourglass. I think they went a little bit overboard with their symbols, but I, I dig the name and it's got a good color to it. <laughs> so check that out if you're interested. Yeah, we'll do. Yeah, for me, it was just making sure, and I, I think I said in the post, just to make sure that my time is being spent on things that, you know, that is proportional to the income. So Relay is, you know, an X percentage of my income. It should be roughly that percent of, of my time. And and so far, it's, it's, not, it's not a perfect pie chart, but it's it's not unexpected. That I, there weren't any surprises in that for me. But, you know, because I'm not just doing one thing, I'm painfully aware that you can become very quickly overloaded and you can be spending a lot of time on something without a lot of return. And that's not to say, you know, like I shouldn't do something just because of that, but I should be aware of it. So it should factor into my decision making. And so it's just a, a little helpful tool right now to kind of understand where things are going. Mm, well, that factors into the questions that Joshua originally had about your job and going self-employed. Joshua, are you seriously considered, uh, uh, you know, moving into a self-employed position? Do you have any ideas for the next five years? Uh, yeah, I've got, I've got some things on the side uh, with different websites, different e-commerce options. My wife's also working on a uh, on a small little fashion line. Actually, we're working together, so that we got a couple different things in the in the uh, cooking, I guess. And yeah, I, I've always, you know, I've not quite got up to. Uh, to 50%, you know, of, of my current income, but that, that's kind of what I've always heard is kind of the, you know, the, the sweet spot. And we've got six kids and, and one income. So it's, it's always a, <laughs> like a, a rat in a wheel sometimes, but I've, I've got to get out of the cubicle. I just have to, it's killing me mentally, <laughs> physically, emotionally, right. In every way possible. Steven, have you ever seen uh, what is it called? Joe versus the volcano with Tom Hanks? I don't think so. In the begin at the beginning, a young Tom Hanks has a really real jobby job kind of position. He's tortured under the fluorescent lights that are flickering, and he's about to go berserk. And just watch that scene on YouTube; it's totally worth it. I, I picture that as Joshua's working environs. It's it's a miserable it's, place. It's pretty bad because you know we don't have any windows. I work in a in an area where uh, we can't even have our our iPhones or anything. It's a a secure area. And it's terrible internet, no windows, no real connection to the real world. It's, it's, it's rough. Didn't you say that they allow you to use Gmail, but not Google Docs? Well, yeah, you can get the Gmail and sometimes it'll work. But yeah, you definitely, definitely can't get to Google Docs or anything that could be useful. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's rough. Mm. What you need to do is you need to become a full-time podcaster, you know, like <laughs> all the rest of us. <laughs> Steven, speaking of which, you're not technically a full-time podca podcaster because you are splitting your, your time in different ways. Do you, do you see yourself as a full-time podcaster or is it really like a, a, a part-time gig that's paying the bills while you further your writing experience and vocation? 
I mean, the way I think about it is that Relay is my main thing. If someone asks me what I do for a living, it's I'm a co-founder of a podcast network. And then, you know, I have to explain that for 20 minutes. But uh, <laughs> See, that's I, one of the reasons why <laughs> the idea of saying I'm a, a writer is easier sometimes. Yeah. Or, or just say you're a media mogul. That's right. Or something like that. Yeah. So I, I view Relay and, and it, it feels like Relay is my main thing. And uh, it is by far what I spend the most time on. And it's by far the biggest you know, chunk of, of money coming in the door each month. Yeehaw. But I'm, I'm one of those people, I suspect you guys are too, of, I can't do just one thing. Like, just doing one thing and I would go crazy pants. And so, for me, it's, you know, 512 makes a little money, it, it more than pays for itself, but it's, uh, that's another outlet for me. You know, some of this other stuff is, this freelance writing is another outlet. So, I don't view it so much as a, like, am I full-time this or am I part-time that, but it's sort of, Relay is my main thing, and then I also do these other things. And, you know, as a whole, they sort of come together and, and it all works. Excellent. Yeah, I can see that. And, and speaking of how it all works and all comes together, it cracked me up. I, I saw your, your about info on your Twitter profile, and it says, once upon a time, you wanted to be an astronaut, but you became a podcaster instead. Yeah. That <laughs> just cracked me up because you must have written that, that about about a year ago or more. And then uh, what do you know? Lo and behold, you created a podcast about space travel, space, aeronautics, NASA. Yeah. Space to uh, quote Jason Snell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It sounded exactly like him. I have to say, I heard the first episode and I'm hooked. What, what do you think that y'all will do with the show as well, things in space kind of happen at a slow pace. <laughs> you want to just start opening up Wikipedia pages and uh, covering archival information and exploring things from a topical standpoint of what is Haley's Comet? Well, let's talk about Haley's Comet. How, how are you going to approach it for the long run? Or do you see, uh, it, rather than going topical and looking at timeless pieces about space, y'all will focus on mostly current events, news, and what's happening around the world concerning space travel? Our plan is for it to be a pretty good mix of those things. So part of it is we set it to to uh, every two weeks. So it's not a weekly show. It's every two weeks. And part of that was just scheduling and people are busy. And part of it also was this isn't like doing an Apple show. And, and even on Apple show, like, I mean, right now, like especially in August, like we're just dragging the bottom of the barrel for topics most weeks. But uh Going every other week helps with the news stuff because usually within a two week period something's going on that you know we can turn to a topic, but we do we do plan on having some educational episodes and in fact the the podcast its primary category in the iTunes store is education, mm. uh, which we struggled with mainly it, it landed there partially because there's not any other good place for it and then part of it is this desire to talk about some more evergreen stuff and so we do have plans to pick a topic and do an, you know, 40 minutes on it uh, from a, from that perspective. Not so much that this is what's going on right now, but this is sort of the big picture. And I think that combination means we have endless number of shows we can do because the, the knowledge base that we could explore is, is just fantastically large. <laughs> and there's all this other new stuff going on too. And the news will only, I think, pick up pace, especially here in the United States over the next couple of years with, commercial crew and man flight happening again from from u.s soil and uh, so i'm not i'm not too worried about showing up and not having anything to talk about mm. do y'all have any competition in that space with space related podcasts 
Yeah, there, there are a couple out there, and uh, you know, we did our due diligence, and we, we listened to, yeah, I downloaded a bunch of shows and listened to them one day, and there's there's some really good ones, and then there are you know, some ones that aren't so good. Uh, I mean, Neil deGrasse Tyson himself has one, and it's, you know, uh, you can't compete with that guy, right? But uh, there, there are other sort of what I would call casual shows out there, and there, there are a handful of them. It, it's much more sparse than the space that Connected or Upgrade live in. We're talking about consumer technology and Apple. There's a thousand shows about that, but... Uh, so I do think we can stand out a little bit in that crowd because the crowd is smaller. If you do run out of topics, you could always start Apple rumors about space travel, like an Apple spacecraft or something like that. Yeah, that's what the car is. Yeah. Mm, self-driving Apple car to the moon. You know, I'm just throwing it out there. I mean, perfect. If you, if you guys start it, it might get picked up and, you know, be a great internet rumor <laughs> i think I'm, I'm more interested in a hoverboard at this time oh, but yeah. th- i'll keep listening to lift off and that might change yeah if, if hoverboards become a thing we uh, i'll, I'll uh, commit to covering that on <laughs> on liftoff <laughs> so speaking of all of your work some of it has to be done in certain places like your podcasting are you doing that in home i am not so i, I do have a home office uh, i'm there so, of course it's only like a month into this I, i'm there most days uh, you know, I've got a, a display and keyboard and mouse and everything. And that's mostly for writing administrative work and the like. Right. Right. Because it, it's difficult to record um, our, at home. We got, like I said, we got a, a real little one still and it's mm. house isn't very large. And so even if I, you know, locked myself in the bedroom and put soundproofing up and stuff, it's just, there's not a good space for it. So about a year and a half ago, I started recording out of the home uh, at a, as sort of a startup co-working space and uh, that sort of didn't pan out. So I've been, I am now have a desk at my brother's office. He runs a nonprofit and they have some video studio and editing space in town. And so I basically, I bought a desk and uh, that's where I'm sitting right now. So I'm sitting right in like his light rig and everything just right over there against the wall. And um, so I share space with him uh, and I come down here on days that I'm recording or days that, it's just crazy at home and I really need to be like heads down. So my Apple watch review that I published a couple of weeks ago, I wrote all that here cause I just, I couldn't really like get down into it the way I needed to at home for the distraction. So come up here, it's quiet most of the time and I can really just sort of uh, lock in on something and get it, get it knocked out. I guess that way you were also able to take pictures of the watch for your website. And I noticed that it was just so pristine. Uh, were you using some of that lighting in there? I was. So he has uh, he has a, a white backdrop they're using for a project and uh, a bunch of leftover materials. So we, we built a little bit, a little light box and uh, he's using it for some of his stuff. And then, uh, yeah, so he has some LED lighting and we rigged that up and uh, I, I shot that on my DSLR. And so, yeah, that, that's one of those things that I hope to do more of in the future. Uh, actually plan on slowly, probably one by one, bringing my collection up here of, of Macs and, and iPods and stuff and getting all those shot uh, in, in this space so I can have some nice images for that to share with people. Oh, we'd love that. You could produce a coffee table book, put it alongside of what is it called? Icon? <laughs> uh, iconic. Yeah. And yeah. Um, uh, iconic is great. And I'm, I'm friends with those guys. Um, uh Jonathan over there really did some uh, fantastic work, and uh, he and I—he's a very good resource for me. The I wrote, or I didn't write. I posted a thing about the Newton that my friend Thomas Brand wrote uh, last week. Now, and uh, those images for that all came from I, the iconic photo set. So Jonathan 
uh, you know, I'll say, hey, do you have this, this, and this? And he'll send them to me and I can I can use them, which is really cool. Huh, interesting. Do you know if he's going to add a, like a section about the Apple Watch in a future edition or is he done with that project? Uh, it, it was an enormous project. I just wondered if he would be interested in creating more of that content. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I know that, that, that he has had revisions to the book. Uh, so I have a first edition that, that he actually uh, gave me, which is really cool. And he sent me the supplemental, like they added like 15 pages or 16 pages of stuff. And um, uh, so I, I do know that it has evolved and I hope that he continues to do it because it's just a, a beautiful a piece of art really is what that book is. Hmm. Interesting. Well, speaking of your workplaces, and now that you have that studio at your disposal and you have the home office, are you tempted to create like a grab and go bag of devices that you use, um, you know, whether you're working remotely and then others for what you do at home? Or are you just comfortable sticking to one computer, one iPad, you know, and the like, keeping it simple? Yeah, so I'm not going to go full CGP Grey and have like two bags ready to go at all times. Um, I'm just looking for more validation to buy more iPads. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, so my my computer is a, is a, a new 15-inch MacBook Pro I bought it this summer. It's the one with the stupid Force Touch trackpad. <laughs> and that's... Um, I have no, everything... No, is, that, is that what they called it? I thought it was called Magic. They, they changed that yeah. to stupid? Uh, yeah, okay. it's, the, it's, it's, it's subtle, but it's in there. <laughs> I just, it's fine. Actually, I don't, I don't hate it that much, but uh, I've, anyways. Do you have it turned off? I'm just curious, like, you know, the force touch feature, you know, is it possible to? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You, well, you can turn off what it triggers and I just kept accidentally triggering it. So, um, are you a tap to click or do you click, click? Uh, I am click, click, tap to click. People are crazy. <clears throat> Casey Liss. Agreed. Yeah. Completely. Uh, but <laughs> I might, I might tap to get an action out of my magic mouse, but that's it. Yeah. So the, Everything is on this MacBook Pro, and uh, I mean, all my logic files, all my uh, photos, music, it is my personal and work computer rolled into one. And I, I bought it, and it was expensive, And but the idea was, I'm going to have one computer, and basically the rest of my setup is duplicated. So I have external display at home and at work. The one at, at the office is bigger and newer, uh, but I have the same keyboard and the same mouse at home and at work. And except for the audio gear it's all the same. And so I can sit down at home or I can sit down at work and, you know, plug my computer in and be ready to go basically and have everything I was working on one place be with me at the other place. And uh, so far that's worked really well. I'm not, you know, Oh, Dropbox failed to sync and I, now I don't have what I need or, you know, there's none of that business right now. It's all on, on one disc, on, you know, one SSD on, in this computer. Since you brought up CGP gray, you know, he likes to work in the coffee house. It, have you been tempted to work outside of the office at all? Uh, yeah, and, and I have some. A lot of what I do isn't super well suited for that. I mean, obviously, the audio is out of the question. But even like the like the admin stuff for Relay or, or writing, uh, it's just helpful to be someplace quiet and, and more importantly to me, be someplace comfortable where, you know, me, I don't do well hunched over a laptop, you know, for a couple of hours. I don't, you know, tra- I don't, care to use a trackpad very long and so for me it's like you know what i i have all this stuff and you know all serves a purpose that i can sit here and i'm not you know straining my hands or my wrists any more than i have to i've got a big screen where i can see everything so uh, i really just don't really care to work just on the laptop if i can get away with it right same here the screen is a bit too small for my tastes i can handle it on an ipad when you know i'm just i'm just reading a book 
or it's for leisure. If I'm standing in the kitchen at the counter and I want to stand up and set up my MacBook there and get get some emails done, do some triage. Mm-hmm. But that's about the only time I actually want to spend time uh, tapping away on the MacBook. And I tried to work from a local coffee shop with friends and the Wi-Fi was actually much better there at the time than what I can get at home. <laughs> and that's a rotten shame, but it's true. It, it, there was three different Starbucks in town and one of them has the Google Wi-Fi. The others did not. And they were terrible. And I wish they could, you know, burn them down and just start all over again. Please, Google Fiber, come this way. Please come towards Kennesaw. You're so close. It would be great. Um, I'm stuck with Comcast for the time being. And so I've maxed it out on all the Xfinity that I can get for podcasting mostly and for managing Dropbox files with my clients. Anyway, I'm ready to move on. Another topic that relates to your personal interests, Stephen, I thought I should bring this up. You know, I I have another show. I I have a movie review show. And so I know I'm going to be talking about this Mm -hmm. in the coming weeks. And I'm looking forward to reviewing this movie. And I'm hoping that you and Jason will make the time to consider reviewing some space movies on liftoff, just maybe make that a special segment. Steven at the movies, uh, (laughs) just an idea. And maybe you could start with this one. And the trailer came out a couple of days ago. I guess it was the second quote unquote full length trailer for The Martian starring uh, Jessica Chastain and Matt Damon. Uh, did you see this trailer? And are you at all interested in movie making about space stories? Uh, I did. I did see the trailer. I actually read The Martian on Jason's uh, recommendation, and I read it basically in a day. I had a day where I had a lot of just sort of waiting around for things, and had my Kindle, and basically read The Martian in one day. And the trailer looks looks absolutely phenomenal for a couple of reasons. A, I think I think the casting is really good. I think I think it's gonna be really interesting to see a movie where it's basically just Matt Damon for a while. Like, <laughs> um, the guy's alone for a long time, not, not to ruin anything in the book. Yeah, I do think that, uh, that it'll be a good movie and it's, it's a fantastic book. And if you're at all interested, not only in space, but in technology or sort of the, uh, survivor type stories, like, um, sort of man versus nature, uh, this book has all of that in there and more. So it, does he does he have any sort of soccer balls that he talks to just to kind of keep, you know? There's no, there's no Wilson character. Okay. Not yet anyway that we know of. It might be different in the movie. Maybe they'll save that for the director's cut. <laughs> is there any sort of um, ambiguity as to what is science fiction and what is scientific in the book, do you think? I heard from various sources in an interview with the author that he he went to great lengths to try and present a realistic scenario for a manned mission to Mars. And not, not only did it have to be scientifically accurate for his endeavor, he wanted to also present technology that was true to true to what NASA would actually use. And did you see that kind of consistency along the way? Uh, I did. And, uh, you know, I've, I've read and heard a lot of interviews uh, along those lines as well. Uh, down to the fact, and he doesn't reveal what year it is, but that the year in his mind, like the, the where the planets are aligned and everything works, like all the math works. So I think it's just a, a fascinating detail. And I think that level of detail shows in the book. As far as like where the line is between like science fiction and basically the, the author was saying, hey, you know, all this is feasible in, you know, two decades, three decades, you know, it, it's it's achievable in our lifetime. And so I don't think that makes, I don't think this book is science fiction. I think this book is a, a look into a, a very real 
you know, future that hopefully we will, we will be able to see obviously without all the bad stuff that happens in the book, but you know, seeing, <laughs> seeing humanity on Mars, something that I want to see in my lifetime. And I believe that I will. So I, I, I don't really view it as a science fiction. I view it as sort of an adventure story that just happens to be on Mars. Right. Um, because it's all within our reach. You know, it's not, you know, he doesn't get teleported off the ship. Like he has to go fill it <laughs> up with gas and fly it. Like that's, that's sort of the difference in my mind, at least. And for that kind of reason, it may be a little bit more accurate than the likes of gravity. I really enjoyed gravity, but I feel like they cut some corners along the way. And one thing that in particular seemed to be a cut corner was the representations of technology in general. It didn't feel like it was actually accomplishing anything when the main characters would be tooling away on a, you know, a piece of gear or, or equipment on the satellites. Like it, they were doing, they were just doing busy work on, on in the satellite for the sake of, uh, you know, covering a scene and looking like they were doing their jobs as good spacemen. But, but in react, reality, they really weren't working with anything. And many of the shots in their, their set and what they were able to record, they had very bare bones props. And then they were using CGI to not only add in space and the earth in the background and the space shuttles, but for a lot of the rigs that they, in their environment. I understand they were saving money, but very little of what you thought was real in that movie was real in any sort of way. Yeah. And I imagine they're facing the same challenge with The Martian. Just by looking at the trailer, I'm super eager to see this film. But I have to wonder if it's going to be weakened places for the CGI when it's necessary because there's got to be hundreds of CGI effects. There's got to be so much dependency on CGI. And if you're trying to represent a real realistic world scenario that isn't highly stylized with a gritty film look or something to kind of hide your mistakes, mm-hmm. then the CGI could really expose the film. Hopefully, it will, you know, like with good filmmaking in any sort of event, it's an art that you know is built on top of technology and what they've figured out over the years is that if you have a super compelling story you can sell it even if you have not so great cgi i hope that that's the case i hope that if they're forced into positions where the cgi is just not the greatest that at least it supports a great narrative and it, it, it seems to have just great material from the novel. So my, I, my hopes are very high. Yeah. That made me think of, of interstellar, which has a lot of, you know, actual sets, actual props, actual, um, <clears throat> there was a, an interview about, about that when it came out that if they were in the, the set, you know, to be in the ship that they were projecting out, out the window, what would be shown in the movie. So the actors could see out the window as if they were, they were flying. And I think that, um, there's parts of interstellar where that comes off not very well, but overall I like that interstellar feels real and feels gritty in a way that, gravity and maybe others don't you know that, that are just super like highly polished and sort of too too sterile in a way where interstellar felt sort of like in places at least felt sort of like grungy and banged up and i i like that about interstellar and uh, i know it's not the most pop you know, I know it's a controversial pick to be popular but um i think that uh i think that it came off better than it would have because of those real sets and and real things and much like Interstellar and other films that involve so much technology, it brings to mind what they did with Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol and Brad Bird, one of my favorite directors. He did a great job with that film. But one of the 
one of the themes of that movie was technology failing. Mm -hmm. And that was something that the IMF were not accustomed to. You know, you got these super spies. They're going to have the cars with rocket launchers. They're going to have laser watches. Everything just works, right? It always does. But uh, there was lots of technical failure for what they were going through in that film. And it was showing, you know, these uh, super spies overcoming the odds. While the technology was not going to come together for them, they'd have to do it with just good old-fashioned elbow grease. And I, I kind of see that happening with the Martian story, that, you know, you got your protagonists that are super smart men and women that are doing creative things to explore a new planet. But when... Uh, the problems arise, the, the the antagonists are mostly acts of God, like the weather going bad on Mars, or the technology failing on them. Mm -hmm. And then they're, you know, jerry-rigging the technology again and again to, to create a new solution when a new problem arises, a new antagonism arises. So I, I like movies, I like stories where the technology is just going horribly wrong for them because it makes my problems seems oh so small at home <laughs> on my Mac. What do we have to complain about? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm right there with you. I, I agree. Okay. Another thing, speaking of NASA and space stuff, I mm -hmm. didn't know if you would bring this up on your show because neither you or Jason are exactly designers, but I found this good article on Wired about NASA's logo going back to the seventies and they called it the, what did they call it? The worm logo? Yep. The worm. I love that. And I've seen it around and I assumed that it was still in use. Can you tell me if it's not? Uh, so the it, the NASA logo right now, so if you go to nasa.gov, the, the logo is a, is a blue circle with sort of this red arc drawn across it. And that, that logo is referred to as the meatball. I don't know why, but it reminds me of the Jetsons for some reason. Yeah, it's so it's it's actually kind of a, a not a very good logo for a lot of a lot of reasons. Like it doesn't when you get it small, like like on NASA's website, some of the the details break down. It's very busy, but that was the logo they used for a long time. Then they used this worm logo, and then they went back to the original one. So there, there are photos of space shuttles with the worm on the wing, and then they, you know, redid them with the meatball later. And so it's they, they've been back and forth. I, I for one, really like the um, uh, the worm logo. I actually have a have it as a patch on my backpack. Um, I, just, I love the way it looks. This book that they're showing has floated, been floating around for years. I think I linked to it on 512 years ago the first time. It's all these examples of like, this is what the logo looks like on the side of a pickup truck. This is what it looks like on a jumpsuit. This is what it looks like on a t-shirt. Like all of these very real life sort of, this is where the logo goes on these things. And uh, it's such a simple mark and one that I think is is really timeless in a way that the meatball is not. The meatball is just not, not, not a very good logo. It doesn't do its job very well, where this thing I think really did. Right. It works more as a mission patch, perhaps, or maybe a mission patch from another era. Do the newer ones look more modernized, uh, in, in your opinion, or do they seem to all belong to the same timeless class, sort of like the liftoff cover art? Yeah, I think it, I mean, so the, the mission patches are designed by a bunch of different people and there's, so they're all over the map, right? Some of them do look sort of like that like what we went for with liftoff, sort of the highly stylized, very simple, like 60s and 70s style things. And then you go into the 80s and 90s and some of those shuttle patches are just horrendous. The one for uh, the Challenger that that actually, that exploded in 1986, I've, I have that patch and it's like, it's just not very good looking. 
Um, so they're all over the map, I think. Uh, but I think that's also why it's sort of fun that they're not all completely consistent. When we were working on the liftoff art, we sent our designer, I sent him a webpage that basically had like 200 mission patches on it. And these things are all over the map as far as style and, and color use. And, you know, some of them are very uh, simple and some of them are very intricate with all these little details. And it's like, you know, this is, they run the gamut. Let's figure out where, where we want to be with our artwork. I admire the work of your designer. Is that Forgotten Towel? It is. Okay. He's, he's cool. very mysterious. We do love that guy. Or we love that towel. <laughs> what he can pull off is amazing. <laughs> I agree with what you said earlier on your website that it, he just kind of outdid himself with this one. It looks photorealistic. It it just looks like something you want to lick. It's just amazing. You know, you're going to get that fractured, put that up on the wall. I need to. Yeah, we 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 do actually want to make actual patches out of it. Uh, we're talking with some people who who might be able to to do that for us, uh, which I think would just be incredible to have a mission patch of a from a podcast. But um, yeah, it really is just incredible the the detail on it and 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 all the relay art is like that. I mean, all the relay art has little things in it where if you're if you pay attention, um, they sort of jump out at you. The the connected artwork has has one that I won't spoil if you haven't seen it, but there there is something in the connected artwork that is we get tweets about it like every other week. Someone's like, Oh my gosh, I just noticed this. I was like, yeah, it's cool. Right. Like it, <laughs> there's little details there and it's, it's really amazing. So that's, that's always something we enjoy working with, um, with Frank on, uh, on that work. I'll start studying it now. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell us what you find Joshua. Now, speaking of all of our interests, I know that a hot topic in the web these days is what Apple is going to accomplish with Apple music or not. It's been a rocky, rocky road. I know that you, Stephen, have been able to evade what's going on with Apple Music for the most part because yeah. your your <laughs> iTunes music is local. You have real music. You're listening to the real stuff. I have a bunch of MP3s and M4As and whatnot. It's great. <laughs> it's, and you just keep it on your iPod. You're still rocking away with classic white earbuds. Mm, I want to go that far. <laughs> but uh, I never, and I've tried all the streaming services. People always ask, like, well, you got to give them a shot. And I have. For me, Streaming services never really clicked. Not only do we have things that I want to listen to that aren't available, but I, I just, for the most part, their UIs are just really bad. And, you know, people praised RDO's UI on iOS especially, but I was like, I mean, it's fine, but it's nothing uh, that really clicked for me. And so I was like, well, I already have all this music on my computer. I already have an iPhone that I can sync a lot of music over to. And, uh, and I do have, you know, an iPod classic where much my whole library lives on. So I just never saw the draw to the, the streaming services. I think part of that too, is that I'm just not all that interested in like discovering new music. Like I, I love music. I have a lot of bands that I enjoy, but, uh, I'm, I'm not ever going to go and like listen to a playlist in hopes to discover like my next favorite album. Hmm. It's not the way that, not the way my brain works. So that's sort of lost on me on that front as well. Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty close. I'm pretty close to where you're at. I mean, I I, I did have the uh, I guess iTunes match just because I didn't want to worry about continuing to back up my iTunes library. But yeah, I've I've I I guess I'm too old to have caught on to the streaming thing. And I, I've been trying out Apple Music since it's been free and all, but uh, I'm not sure I'm going to continue with it. I just don't. I don't know. It's 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 so close to being worth ten dollars for me, but I'm not sure it's quite there. Which is kind of silly. It's like three cups of coffee, but still, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Well, I have high hopes for what Apple can do between now and the end of the year. I know they're going to be changing a lot of things around their, their retail stores. You know, there's talks that the iPods are getting demoted. They're going off of the tables and up to the walls alongside of other accessories. Yeah. I feel pretty good about that decision because remember when the iPod was around in the beginning, it deserved a spotlight in the store because it will back then in those days for a few years, the iPhone wasn't around yet. The iPad wasn't around. The computer line was simpler. There were, there were less color varieties. So it made a lot more sense to showcase what you could do with the iPods because they were a, a hot device. These days, they feel more like a, an accessory to me. And I was wondering, is that just because um, I've grown super accustomed to streaming music? You know, I, I used audio for a good long spell and now I'm using Apple Music and hitting my head against the wall. So I was wondering, Stephen, how do you feel about the, the placement of, of iPods for the future? I mean, are you going to get to a, a time in the future, say 2025, are you still going to be using iPods, do you think? Or are you just going to keep all of your music on a, you know, one terabyte iPhone 20 down the road? There's a YouTube video of Steve Jobs giving a tour. You should dig up for the show notes. It's really good. I do like. I have seen it. the The original concept, uh, well, not the original concept, but what they what they opened with, <laughs> which they changed it right at the last minute, uh, was to build the stores around what you could do on the Mac. And at the time, that meant iLife, even though it was before that term existed. So there was a section for movie making, and you had video cameras, and you had, uh, you know, Power Mac G4s, you know side by side you'd go over to uh the music section and you would have you know an iMac and you would have uh headphones and and whatnot and so the ipod um slipped into that storyline really easily the 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 apple store predates the ipod i believe by a little bit but they're basically the same era and so for a long time the ipod was not only the most you know sort of visible brand that apple had but it it also fit into their narrative when you walked in a store is like i want to learn about music so i'm going to go over here or i want to learn about photography so I'll go over there and I look at a power book and look at a, a, at a at a camera i mean we sold cameras in the apple store when i worked there it was <laughs> crazy in hindsight that that was even a thing i think obviously streaming is what put a big ding in 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 ipods but i think the first blow was building iPod into the phone, right? When Steve Jobs announced the phone, it was three things. And one of those things was a widescreen, uh, you know, touch controlled iPod, right? It was a pretty big ding. It's impacted everything. Yeah, it was, it was the first blow and they, you know, they they kept doing the music events for a couple years after that, but then they faded away around 2009. And uh, so for me, it's, it's, you know, I get this rap that I'm carrying an iPod around. I'm not most days. I mean, I have a 64 gigabyte iPhone and, and the music that I want to carry is on my iPhone because ultimately the iPhone has just absorbed so many other devices for people. You know, I don't own a point and shoot camera anymore. I own a, a digital SLR with a bunch of lenses, but that's a different thing than, you know, the, the point and shoot I used to carry around in my bag all the time. Right. It's a workhorse. It's going to do the heavy lifting for your photos, the special jobs. Right. But yeah, but just walking around town, the, you know, the, the camera in my 6 Plus is plenty great for that. Uh, and the same thing with the music, right? That for a long time, you were carrying your flip phone and your iPod. And then maybe you were carrying your iPhone and your iPod for the first couple of years. But, you know, then your, your iPod died or it, your iPhone wasn't very big. And they, you know, ended up merging those things. I think, I think a lot of people just wanted to carry one device. And, and that was the death blow to the iPod. 
Yeah, and I, I would have to agree. It seems like with a lot of time that Apple still cares a great deal about music, but not necessarily emphasizing the devices that are exclusive to music. So while they recently purchased Beats and the, you know that had a lot to do with their collaborations to develop Apple Music's streaming service by uh, taking many components from the Beats app and uh, integrating them into the, the present day iTunes, they were also getting a hold of everything else that came with Beats, like their headphones. Basically, since that that time that they started their relationship together, the Beats products have mostly been up on the accessories walls uh, as well. Though you can find in, uh, I guess, many of the Apple stores, they do have a row of tables with Beats headphones off to the side. Mm-hmm. And maybe near the front, but maybe not. In all the Apple stores I've been to here in Georgia... I've approached different people in, in, in the store, talked to different employees, and asked them about their Beats devices, and for the most part, they're not really familiar with them. Uh, the, the employees don't have a lot to say about them, and a couple of times, I couldn't even figure out how to turn on you know, the wireless studio Beats headphones or something, and nobody in the store knew how to activate it. So I, I can see how the, the hardware related to music has been t- moving farther and farther back. It's been taking the back seat. And though they still care a lot about music, it's, it's a different thing, what they're focusing on with software versus hardware. Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay, well, thanks, Stephen, for joining us this episode. It's been great as always. Keep rocking it over there, really, man. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Did I say, did I say rocking it? You, you did. Or did I say rocketing it? Uh, either one works, I guess, now with the, uh, the new show. But no, thanks, thanks for having me back. It's always fun to uh, come hang out. Yep, a super pleasure. This is the end of episode 21. We're so glad that everyone listening to our show can join us. If you don't already have them, you can find the show notes with links at tectonic.fm slash 21. And if you're looking for us on Twitter, our guest, Mr. Hackett, is at ISMH. I'm underscore Joe Darnell. My co-host is Joshua Pfeiffer. And the show is Tectonic FM, all on Twitter. If you'd like to send us any sort of messages off the grid, then email should go to hello at tectonic.fm. If you're looking for ways to subscribe, Tectonic is available through all those podcast apps like Pocket Casts, Overcast, and iOS's very own podcasts for iOS. I am Joe Darnell. Thanks a bunch for listening to the Tectonic Podcast. Tectonic.